the Lord made us in such a way where we do hear his word. The Lord made us in such a way where we're able to not only listen, but allow that word to enter and create a dialogue within our heart. We see the example of Abram, who ultimately became Abraham. But Abraham was someone who was born, and I was so much aware, remember this not long ago, history of Iraq, Ur, Ur where Abraham came from, Ur is the city of Basra in Iraq. So we know there's, there were some battles going on, you know, 20 years ago. And I was so much aware that that's the place where Abraham was born. Because sometimes we think of Abraham being someplace in you know, history we don't even know where, and 4,000 years ago. And, and, but if we can locate him, he's one of the Iraqis of today. And so he was the one who was born there. And then he heard a voice of God to move, to go. So he went to Haran, which is, you know, where Euphrates and Nike Tigers rivers are. We're Baghdad, not too far from there. So he went there. And at the age of 75, he heard the voice of God was guiding him. Leave your place. Leave all the things that you had. And he, he was fairly well off at that time. Just leave everything and go to a land that I promise you. Who would, at the age of 75, wish to just drop everything and go? I have my home. I have my family. I have, I'm fairly well off. I work with my nephew. We're working together really well. Yes, so he had but he leaves things, all things behind and goes to a place, unknown place, which the Lord promised him, the promised land, go into the land of Canaan. And so he goes. And along the way, when he arrives there, he comes to a place which he names Bethel, the house of God. And he builds an altar there, honors the Lord. And he walks and goes around. Wherever he goes, he honors the Lord. He thanks him for all things, even though he lives among the Canaanites, the people of there. But he, he heard that inspiration of his heart, and he moved. He let go. He was able to go. It wasn't exactly everything. It wasn't smooth from that moment on. There was a famine, a great famine, and he had to go to Egypt. And he was afraid to have his wife um, be taken by somebody else. So he was afraid that, as a husband, he would be eliminated. So he spoke of her sister, trying to protect her, protect himself. Then finally, he returns back, and we know the whole history. And we honor Abraham because of his faith. He listened to the voice of God. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the communities of the earth shall be find a blessing in you. 
Abraham is not only the father of, of the people of the covenant, but also he's honored by all Christians as a sign of faith, model of faith, and as well as Muslims. If we were to put together, we have almost, almost, almost four billion people who honor him, who know him. Why? Why 4,000 years ago? Why? There were many great people, but they don't remember. We don't remember them. Only those who were persecuting the people of God we remember Nebuchadnezzar, this, that, Pilate. Otherwise, you would not even know them. Because God chose Abraham, and he responded with a yes. He was willing to say yes the whole until the very end including at the moment of the, 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 the most difficult test of all is when his wife conceived and, and the Lord asked him, are you willing to offer your son to me? And he was willing to offer the son that he longed for, the son of promise, and he was willing to let go. But the God did not ask him to do so but only as a way of, of asking him, I, do you really love me? And he was willing to let go even of his son. But we see that as God the Father gave his son, God the Father did not stop. He allowed his son to embrace the cross for us because of God's love. Jesus, yes, He's the second person of the Holy Trinity incarnate. God himself offered himself on our behalf. But we see the, the, the model of faith. Abraham was willing to do everything, and we see the same. The model of Jesus in that historical way, the Son of God was willing to offer himself. That's a, that's a beautiful gift. And so to, this, to your descendants, I will give this land. So Abraham built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel, pitching his tent with Bethel to the west and to I to the east. Wherever he journeyed, he honored the Lord, the one who has revealed himself. The word of God from the Old Testament enters our own hearts. It's an invitation. Do we listen? Do we hear the inspirations of God? Or we are just blocked by the noise of everything around us? The most difficult thing today is that we have these noises every place, whether it's through carrying the electronic equipment with us, iPhones, others, smartphones, whether we are always listening to something, music or whatever, where we work, whatever we do. We don't have time to listen to God. We don't have the time to hear his inspirations. And if we do, we don't have the energy to even say yes. So we postpone it because we're this or that, whatever may be the reason. But that means that the invitation today is to see in Abraham, not just a model of someone, but our brother who's able to, to say yes to God. And are we able to say yes to him today? If he's calling us to do something. Because the thing is that we may kind of post, try to postpone it, whatever, or we're not ready, or we feel uncomfortable. 
and then we miss the opportunity of grace, the grace that the Lord wants to have us receive and, and, and try to be transformed slowly more and more. People postpone things, you know, that sometimes I, I hear, you know, I'm, I'm not ready yet, I'm, I'm only 65, I've got still plenty of years to, to, to open my heart to God. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. Sometimes we are so falling into such patterns of behavior that we just don't even open our hearts to God even when we're 70 or 80 or 90 because it's not possible for us. And so this is the invitation today, the word of God that we hear today wishes to enter. It's a dynamic word. It can accomplish things. So the first lesson of today is Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your words, but you also give me the grace to say yes to you, not be afraid, not to be afraid of being uprooted wherever we are, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's leaving the very home that we have, not the physical one, but the, that, that emotional home. Sometimes we're so attached to things, so fearful of things, that we'll be willing to have that courage and the strength to say yes. The gospel today is an interesting gospel because it seems to be a little tougher than normal. Jesus says, point blank, stop judging, that you may not be judged. We, a couple of days ago, we read the, um, you know, the, in St. Matthew's gospel, the, the prayer, Lord, teach us how to pray. And at the end of our Father, Jesus repeats, and he sa says to us, forgive the sins of others so that you may be forgiven. Because if you don't forgive, the Heavenly Father cannot forgive you. The problem with today, with this gospel is this, is that the Lord is inviting us. Obviously, he's not saying that we should not be discerning between good and evil. He's not saying that. But he's speaking of something which is sort of type of attitude within us. We can call it judgmentalism or something, an attitude where we are the measure of things rather than the Ten Commandments to be the measure of things and the code of holiness or the Beatitudes. That should be the measure of things. But we sometimes take the, the sense that we are the ones. We may have a lot of truth, but do we have the ultimate truth? unless it's based and rooted in a gospel, unless it's based and rooted in the teachings of our faith, then we can't, because that means we become a very subjective ju ju judge. And the problem is this, and the Lord says this, if you judge, you'll be judged by the same measure. I, I, I'm not too sure if I want to be judged by the same measure of my own weaknesses. I, I don't, I'm not too sure. We wish to be forgiven. We should wish to be, uh, you know, kind of let go of things, you know, because, because we would have a hard time. And you see, and this is where, where that incredible gift that God gives us of knowledge, the measure with which you measure will be measured on, out to you. And this is not just a, this a statement. It's not one of those aphorisms. This is reality. This is God speaking to us. And so... What is the measure by which we should measure? Ultimately, obviously, yes, the objective teachings of our faith, objective teachings. 
But then we have to hate the sin, love the sinner, which means we have to forgive, let go. But to forgive means that we know that something is wrong, something is evil. So we're not saying that I'm forgiving because I just kind of, you know, you know, back back down and say, well, I don't care. No, no. Forgiveness means that I recognize that the person who has done something is wrong, is objective wrong. And yet the Lord is asking us, you have to forgive, to be like God, to forgive. Ultimately, the measure by which God measures us is a measure of forgiveness and mercy. It's the only one. None of us will make it. None of us would make it because it's not possible for us. Only God can save. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot save us ourselves by particular actions. Only God can save. And the measure by which the, the Lord measures us is a measure of forgiveness, which means that he recognizes that we're weak, that we're sinful, that we do evil things, we do stupid things, that we do destructive things. And yet, when we call upon him, he forgives. And so this is that. I know that all of us know this, the truth, but it's sometimes, you know, God in his goodness, he brings these readings to us, keeps on asking us to meditate, to reflect again and again, to cleanse ourselves. You see, the, the problem with the judgment is that the Lord says that we have blindness. There's blindness in us, blindness. and. You know, and by, by the way, the Lord doesn't say that people are not blind. Some are, have splinters, but some have beams, which means that no one, there's always some form of blindness. You know, psychology today would say we have blind spots. We don't see ourselves as people see us. Sometimes, you know, when they tell us, we may not exactly like to hear it, but there are blind spots in us. So the Lord is saying to us, everyone has some blockage, some blindness. But some have beams, and the problem with those who have beams, which means they see reality only through one, you know, like a beam itself, blinding them from everything else, and they're the ones who seem to be judging the most. So how can you say to your brother, let me remove that splinter from your eye while the wooden beam is in your eye? Doesn't want us to be hypocrites, but once again, how do we come to know this truth about ourselves? Reflection that comes from meditating on scripture, by hearing his voice, by, by looking at the teachings of our faith, obviously by reading God's word, because that's when we get closer and closer to him. We, we start thinking and being like him more and more, and we have the strength to do so. So that's one thing. And today, although we don't officially celebrate the feast or the memorial of Jose Maria Escriva, but, but the Opus Dei people around the world, they're honoring him. What was so important about him? He was a child, two years old. He was in danger of death. Plus, uh, his mother took him to, to, a, um, to a shrine of Our Lady and called out to, Torres Ciudad, the shrine of Our Lady, and, and he was healed. He was healed. Uh, as a mother, not only taking a child, but I guess I, be, I presume that she also entrusted him to Our Lady for guidance. And then his vocation to a priesthood was very unusual vocation. 
One day, he was walking uh, in a, through a, on a road with the fresh snow, and what he saw is a monk walking in front of him, and he didn't have shoes. And he was bare, with the bare foot, and he was leaving the imprints of his foot on the snow. Obviously, walking on the snow without, a, without shoes probably was not exactly that comfortable. But nonetheless, that kind of inspired him. He says, you know what? If he can do this, if he wants to offer his life to Christ in that way, he also did. So he entered the seminary, and, and he, uh, he was ordained uh, rather early at the age of 24. And then by age of 28, he began to look and desire to establish, 27 I think, he would establish something that would help lay people become holy in, in the activities of their life, which means attaining holiness through the various activities of each day. Not something that you know, lay people may not have an opportunity to do holy hours, or they may not have the opportunity to, to spend much time in prayer, but they have to do these, these things for the home with that work. Sometimes it may be exhausted, exhausting type of work, and his desire was to help people to attain holiness through the various and the simple activities of, of their life. And he formed this group known as Opus Dei. It was in his work. He says, that's the work of God. It's the work of God. God is the one who desires our holiness. And so we, as human beings, may be able to participate and help. And so he's a great organizer, well-educated. He finished degrees of, you know, a law degree and then subsequent even doctoral degree in, in theology uh, later on in his life. But for this purpose, he established, you know, the um, institutions of higher learning. In Rome, he established the University of the Holy Cross, you know, performing of laymen, lay and then another one he established a couple of years later for women, and then finally he joined the two universities together. He, not only that, but he also formed a, a society of priests of Holy Cross, which was promoting priestly and vocation, religious vocation within the Opus Dei. He established University of Navarra and other places, uh, published many works, uh, The Way, other things, helping laity to attain salvation. He passed away at the age of 73. Um, you know, the 73 as being also the age of Our Lady. That we, we uh, as the age of Our Lady, when the Lord took her home, she was assumed to heaven. He loved Our Lady all throughout his life. He dedicated himself to her, reminding us of who she is. Towards the end of his life, just before he died, and at the age of 73, he rebuilt the, made a beautiful uh, structure of the shrine where he was healed as a child. And so that became the center, spiritual center of all Opus Dei members. How God works. He heard the voice. He saw the footprints as someone who gave himself to God, even you know, being able to embrace the, the, the hardships of life. And that's what he did. So maybe then today, 
as we hear God's word, first of all, as we see the incredible example of someone who was willing to say yes to God, Abraham, and went, and God established a great nation, established covenant, prepared the way for Jesus' coming, prepared the way ultimately for the, for the prophetic voice, for the prophets, who Moses and others who prepared the way for, for the Lord. And then we hear Jesus wishing to perfect us from the, that Sermon on the Mount is perfecting us, perfecting, making us to realize that ultimately we are to look at things from the perspective of God. And the perspective of God is ultimately forgiveness. That's what he wishes from all of us. Yes, that we are broken. Yes, we are making mistakes. Yes, all of that. But unless we draw the proper conclusions, we have to be like God. Yes, call the sin, sin. Absolutely, do not follow the bad example. Stand up for truth, stand up for his commandments. But that still means that we have to take care of one another because they're also, God wants them to be in heaven as well. And finally, the example of Jose Maria, who through a lady and through a focus on God's ways, how to become holy in the everyday life, we have an example of someone who's a great teacher who can help us attain holiness on this day-to-day -day basis until we reach the glory of God, until we reach the paradise which the Lord has prepared for us, for those who love him. Hello, I'm Father Thaddeus Langton of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception, and I'm excited to let you know about my new podcast with Father Timothy Childers called Keeping It Marian. To access the podcast, simply visit divinemercyplus.org or search Keeping It Marian on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on whatever podcast platform you prefer. I want to share with you the riches of the charism of the Marian Fathers, which is the mystery of the Immaculate Conception, how it touches our lives as consecrated priests and religious, and how this mystery can bear fruit in your life, especially by keeping the Word of God and pondering it in our hearts in imitation of our Blessed Mother. I hope you'll join us. Again, it's called Keeping It Marian. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. 
That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.